0: Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I am speaking with one of Canada's top makeup artists, Grace Lee, today. She's been a makeup artist for 26 years. This woman knows her way around the beauty industry. She has worked so many fashion shows, fashion weeks in New York, Paris, Milan, Toronto. She has a really sparkly roster of celebrities that she's worked with, including Gwyneth Paltrow, Meghan Markle, supermodels like Gigi Hadid. She is the CAFA award winner in 2020 for Best Makeup Artist in Canada. She works with Maybelline as their spokesperson in New York and Canada. She knows beauty. And we're talking a lot about, you know, her frustrations and her loves with the beauty industry, the good, the bad, the ugly. And of course, I couldn't help but ask her about some of her favorite products. So glad you're here. Let's head to the conversation. Hello, Grace. Welcome to Fashion Talks. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy. I think you're the first makeup artist that I have spoken to on the podcast. So this is super exciting. Oh, well, I'm very excited to be here. So I want to dive right into it because one of the reasons I was, one of the many reasons I was so excited to talk to you is to my mind, fashion and beauty very much occupy two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment on your end of things?
1: hundred percent. I agree. Uh, I mean, I think it, there's always been a marriage there and I I sometimes just think that, Like makeup and hair is kind of like the sprinklings of a cupcake. It's like the, you know, the finishings of like the whole look, I guess, if that makes sense. But yes, definitely. I think there's a definite tie in to each other.
0: And what's your relationship with fashion? Is it something that you enjoy being a part of? You know, I have this notion that everyone who loves fashion kind of has this moment where they realize that clothing, Mm-hmm. is something that can be more than just protection of our skin and bones from the element, that it can harness another another power. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, I
1: think that it's a way of expressing yourself. It's a way of showing um, kind of like a piece of who you are. And I think that started from an early age for me. I don't know if there was like a specific outfit, but I, I do know, I remember watching like fashion television at an early age and I grew up with Jeannie Becker and fashion files. Like it, that was just a whole universe that I could only dream of. And I just remember like seeing the models walking down the runway and just, you know, pictures of Paris. And it just seems so glamorous to me, but if you just take aside like that fashion aspect and then just even fashion in general, I remember wanting like my first roots leather jacket and making my mom like line up for Boxing Day and <laughs> buying like my first roots leather jacket. And I just remember that was like, uh, like the, I don't know, it just, I just couldn't believe that I had this like roots leather jacket. And that was like the start of it. I think it's like whether you're coveting something that makes you feel good or I I don't know. But I just think everybody has that kind of
0: tie in with like a piece of clothing, I think. What you know? did the roots jacket mean to you? What did it what did it represent to you that made it something special?
1: Well, I knew it was um I knew it was hard to get, like it was expensive. It wasn't something like you just buy. Um, and I knew my mom was like, you can only get it if it's on sale. And I just remember, okay, it's gonna go on sale boxing day. And I just remember like just knowing like I had one, it made me feel good, you know? Um, and yeah, maybe it was just because like so many other people had it, but it was like a coveted piece of clothing. And um I remember I could just wear whatever underneath, but if I just had that ruse leather jacket on.
0: I was, I was good. There's an, it sounds like there was a bit of armor, a bit of like belonging, a bit of just like pride in, in something that you wore hundred percent. And, um, I can relate to that now,
1: even like seeing my 14 year old daughter want like a certain, I mean, she's definitely not like me, but, um, if she wants a pair of boots, then I'm like, yeah, go for it. Like,
0: It, it, it can empower you, right? Like that's what I think is so exciting about clothing in general is is when you realize that like, yeah, if I wear these boots, I can feel this way. Not that it is what makes you feel that way, but it can amplify something that is that is within you.
1: Absolutely. That's why like women have this, you know, um, relationship with shoes and bags and uh, coats and, you know, it just... The minute you put those things on, whether it feels comfort or sexiness or empowerment or you feel like like a badass bitch, like those are the things that you, you know, those are the the tools that can help you just feel a little bit better about yourself.
0: And do you think makeup plays a similar role, like a a red lip can can you know bring a different feeling to someone than a nude lip or you know a bold smoky eye is different than something that's a little more a little more natural when we see our cheeks you know blushed out it it can bring similar feelings oh
1: absolutely I think that's the reason why I got into makeup because uh, I think you see the transformation when a woman looks at herself like after her makeup is done and it gives them that self-confidence or like either like just don't underestimate the power of a red lip. That's all I'm saying. And whether, you know, it's your skin, you're feeling like you have tons of acne or pimples and makeup can't erase it, but it can mask it. Um, and it can really help with self-confidence and, it can really help boost that kind of inner confidence that sometimes people need. Um, And I know for me, I use makeup also as like smoke and mirrors because I don't look like that when I wake up. Um, And I know putting on a red lip really masks the way like it, one, it instantly makes you look less tired. So I know if um, that's an illusion and that's also a trick for anyone that's listening. Um, if you're feeling extra tired and your eyes are like extra swollen, wear a red lip because it's actually a distraction. So don't pile on the concealers. Actually, like people won't even look at your tired eyes, they'll automatically look at your lips. And um, yeah, I just love that the confidence that it gives.
0: Where did you first start to see it? Like you're a very, you know, fancy, award-winning, seasoned oh, God. makeup artist, <laughs> honest to God. Honest no, to gosh. Okay. So where did, where did you start? What was the beginning of your makeup career? Like, um, well,
1: I always, I mean, if you want to start, like I was five, maybe just doing my Barbie dolls and transforming my Barbie dolls, hair and makeup and adding like dark eyeliner and lashes and adding. The blush,
0: number was, of people who have said their like fashion and beauty career started with like the <laughs> with the Barbie dolls and <laughs> making them their own. Like it is a trope, but it is real. I it's love real. it. <laughs> it's real.
1: And um then, you know, I was always that friend that did their hair and makeup for their friends. Like prom and you know if they had like a first date they would always I would be the one like Grace can you do my hair makeup and um, I just always liked it but I was at York University I needed a part-time job and you know I was doing my make my own makeup pretty well and I wore a lot of MAC and everyone would always say like you should get a job at MAC and um, so I applied and this is when they actually hired like Makeup artists and needed like a makeup interview as well as like bypassing the normal interview. If you got past that first stage, then you would go through a makeup interview, and I had to do someone's makeup, and then whether I got it or not based on that. And then the were rest Frank was and Frank
0: still at the helm when you were back?
1: Uh, well, Frank, uh, one of the Franks passed, and uh, Frank Toskin was still the majority shareholder. So I was there at a time where. It was still like magical. And um, it was it w- hadn't gone global yet and Estee Lauder did not purchase it until maybe two years after um, I started with Mac and then it became like an Estee Lauder corporation owned company. And I just think I mean, it's such a
0: great I, shout out to Mac for people who don't realize that it it's a Canadian company and that it had this like real foundation in professional staff.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was the only makeup brand out there at the time that, um, like, we were the only ones, like, wearing black and uh, recycling products. They were so ahead of their time, and, you know, um, having the Viva Glam lipstick and providing all this money towards, like, HIV, like, they were just very ahead of their time, and Um, That was like, if you're going to work in makeup, that was the company to work for. And um, uh, that was like the best training round for me because I did makeup part time uh, and realized like I did makeup on every type of skin tone, every age, every like ethnicity. I, I was dealing with like this palette that I got to practice on like and get paid for it. And then I just realized from, um, you know, very early start there that I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life.
0: (laughs) And Um, what was it about it that that resonated with you? Like, was it the creativity? Was it the interaction with people? What about it made you say, I have found my place. This is this is my thing. I mean first
1: of all, I just always liked doing makeup. So I was like, I didn't even know that that was an option for me that I could make money off doing something I really liked. And then uh, doing makeup on people. And I actually like doing makeup on people. I didn't like the selling aspect. Like if that so I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you love doing makeup, and I could do makeup all day long. But like, asking me a 1000 different times, like, what lipstick looks best on them that was like a whole nother layer that I did not enjoy but I mean doing the makeup part I loved and um, you know really just it was like a creativity thing but it was also a challenge every time because it was something different.
0: And what was the role... different. What was the role of the makeup artist like then because you know what I want to get to is sort of like how you've seen the industry and the role of the makeup artist changed since you've Mm. been in the industry. But before we talk about, you know, how, how it's changed now, what was it, what was it like when you were, when you were starting out and kind of, you know, I know you've worked the shows at New York fashion week and Toronto fashion week. Like I feel like there was a real um, like a makeup artist has always been a really special job that has a lot of kind of glamor and mystery around it. What was it, what was it like for you? How did you kind of reflect upon what being a makeup artist meant back when you were starting out?
1: I mean, there was all these different levels. I think, I think it's always good for anyone to have like a role model or a mentor. And for me, like working at a company like that, for me, like the next step was like, I want to get to this role. So like I was part-time and then I decided, okay, I want to become full-time. So that was a whole nother like layer that I had to overcome. And then there were jobs in this company that I wanted to attain. And uh, yeah, then I eventually became like a resident trainer and then a trainer. Like, so I would train and help train staff um, in the province. And then I became a senior artist, which was like part of a global team that would travel to, you know, all the collections, New York, Paris, Milan. And that was like the, the, the position that I wanted, everybody wanted that position. It was like a very highly, highly coveted position, the highest like makeup artistry position for the company. And I did that for the six years of my 13 years at Mac. So I, so I mean, I grew up and lived in this bubble that was like very small for 13 years because then um, after I left and then became freelance and joined got repped by an agency here in Toronto. Um, My world just got like 1,000 times bigger in the aspect of like the fashion world and and makeup and all that. So I think my eyes were open because it wasn't so insular with just one company. It was like, just like, boom, kind of opened up. And I mean, I think people change and evolve and you want different things and you want more. And I mean, I think I was exposed to more, so then I wanted more. I was like, I want to do this. I, I want to key fashion week in Toronto. And I did that. And I got this amazing role with Maybelline, which was like the titled sponsor for Toronto Fashion Week. And then I keyed 10 seasons for them, which is crazy.
0: Um, Yeah when i hear you talking i'm i'm kind of envisioning like you and the and the rest of the editorial team you know jetting off to glamorous locations for magazine shoots and and you know i feel like that's certainly like a a small but you know very exciting and coveted part of the of the job um but editorial work has changed so much over over the past you know several years, couple of decades. How have you seen your work as an editorial makeup artist ebb and flow as new technologies come in and whatnot?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, it's become, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I just, I think I know this in the industry, there's a lot of magazines have died. So paperback magazines, there's not that physical, tangible magazine that you can hold. There's only like maybe a couple now um, and everything's gone online. So I think it's definitely changed because it's like, oh, before there's just way more opportunity to do those covers. And now sometimes those covers are now syndicated across like eight different countries. Like they do that one shoot and then, you know, eight or nine different countries pick that up, that one cover shoot. So it's become way less. I think, but now the ownership, I think if we want to put that creativity content out there, it's on us. And so it's on like the photographers and stylists and myself and, you know, just kind of having that, like, do you want to do this? Like, do you want to do creative? And that's a fine balance of doing a creative now because it's like, obviously, you're not getting paid to do that. And there's no money in editorial work either. So really, you're just trying to get your creative juices. And, and also, it's a way of, um, you know, exposing yourself and uh, self-promotion. And sometimes you just don't want to do it because you're like, well, I'd rather be getting like a money job rather than like, you know, a nothing job. But you know that those things are going to really help. And so there's just a fine line.
0: It sounds like the money. economy of the makeup artist, like in so many creative industries, is one that's fraught with, you know, you, there's this expectation or desire to do free work because it's creative and it's pushing yourself or it's putting yourself out there. But it needs to be balanced with paid work and with social media. I mean, I don't need to open, I can Mm -hmm. open my Instagram anytime and see all kinds of people, you know, doing makeup tutorials or, or putting out that content. You know, I hesitate to call it the democratization of the makeup artist, but you know, how has that, like the landscape has definitely grown. Is the (laughs) expectation of doing more things for less impacted how your career moves? Like how has that relationship with with social media kind of changed the game? Yeah, I mean, I laugh because I
1: think it's completely changed our landscape. So, and I and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I just think like if you're a makeup artist now, I just think there's like many layers of what type of makeup artist you are because now everybody's a makeup artist. And um, you can claim yourself as a makeup artist, even if you've never done makeup on anybody other than yourself. Um, So, and I think sometimes, I mean, it's a loaded question. I think there's layers of makeup artists that are like me that work in an industry that just do makeup predominantly on other people. And then there are makeup artists that just do like weddings. There are makeup artists that are just social media makeup artists that only do makeup on themselves, um, whether it's for Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Uh, and some of them call themselves like pro makeup artists. And for me, I'm like, what makes you a pro? Like, are, it, it does it make you a pro because you have like 200,000 followers on Instagram? Or does it make you a pro because... Like i I don't know, I just think that professional makeup artist is very skewed now, uh depending on like how many followers you have
0: it It sounds like you know there is a a dilution to the to the expertise that could be interpreted with how now so many people can kind of claim this mantle,
1: yeah, um, and what gives you i mean no one's going to want to talk to the makeup artist that's been doing makeup for 30 years, maybe, and never had really a social media account up to now, but has 30 years of experience and all this vast knowledge. And then, or are they going to listen to or want to talk to somebody that has 2 million followers? Um, from a marketing standpoint, obviously, they're going to want to, you know, talk to the person that has 2 million followers. And I mean, sometimes that is not necessarily right either.
0: Yeah. There is, there is all kinds of expertise and wisdom and talent that comes with that years of experience that cannot be replicated with followers on your social media account.
1: Yes. And I think people forget that. And I think people forget um, how many years it's taken for some people to get to where they are Um, And they should recognize that and whether it's like not just because it's like a viral video or. um, And I think and and that's what's happened with social media is, I mean, it's also been a great thing for some makeup artists that I know that needed a platform because they never had that platform. And I think it's been amazing for some. And that's great. Use it as a tool. Use it as like free self-promotion and um, creating your, you know, your niche. And I think that's amazing. Um I just don't agree with people that have or obtained a following that they didn't deserve because and they don't, and they're not good examples, and they're not good role models. And um they don't speak on behalf of our community, which bothers me sometimes.
0: What are some things that the the beauty industry is doing well in terms of inclusivity and diversity? Like that's something that in the fashion world and in so many other industries, um, it's a conversation that is ever-evolving, so mm-hmm. important. Where is the beauty industry doing it well and where do you think there's room for it to, to still move the needle?
1: I mean, I think in general, like as a whole, you're seeing like, makeup brands have way more diverse, like color ranges. So it, it's, that is a good start. Like seeing a lot of makeup artists recognizing that they can't have like six shades of foundation anymore. <laughs> and, um, and then also if you're, yeah, like you just can't have like the one token dark skin foundation and then uh, the lightest and then everything in between is just why, we have so many different skin tones and undertones and um, they should recognize that. And they are. So I do see a lot of brands recognizing that. You see a lot of brands also um, casting properly, like casting, you know, more diverse skin tones in their campaigns, which I think is important because people want to see themselves in a campaign. They don't always want to see like a Caucasian girl with blonde hair and blue eyes like that's. And is that the normal fit of beauty? I don't know. I like you know, everybody is beautiful. Every and I think everybody should be seen.
0: The idea of everyone should be seen, you know, that's that's something that comes up in these conversations that I have quite a bit. And I'm wondering if, you know, with your colleagues while you're while you're on set, do you guys have those conversations about like, you know, beauty standards or you know, have we seen too many, you know, Caucasian, blonde haired, blue eyed people in campaigns? Like, is that a conversation that's happening amongst the, the skilled people who are executing the campaign visions? Where, where are you finding those conversations happening?
1: I think it starts from the top. Like I, I'm sometimes, it's not up to me as a makeup artist to, I mean, I don't have, because I'm not part of the casting. So I don't have that say per se, I mean, with Maybelline, I know um, we've had conversations of, and I, and that's why I think I respect that so much is, you know, they've asked, like, is there enough? Is there enough visibility on, like, who we're picking? If I had the choice, then yes, I can then pick those models for whatever makeup application video that I'm doing for the brand. And I then, yes, will maybe not pick, like, just, the regular Caucasian model I might pick an Asian and a Black and Indian like they're I, I just think I'm just more cognizant of trying to get different models mm-hmm. and I think they're so open to that and they're also on top of that as well so um I just know I think most brands are trying to be more aware which I think that's all you can ask for
0: Well, and there's been so many conversations and, and stories that have come out in the past, you know, 12, 18 months about, you know, black models being on set and expected to have their own hair Mm -hmm. tools or their own foundation and, and how disempowering and disrespectful and traumatic that is to, to, to not be seen in your, in your professional environment. Yeah. I mean, I get so angry
1: when I hear black models sit in my chair and say, uh, it's actually nice that you can do my skin or you have foundation colors that like actually fit my skin tone. I'm like, it just baffles me that you can call yourself a makeup artist if you don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. And, or at least then learn. Um, and it, it drives me insane when they, I hear, like, makeup artists say, like, I don't know how to do an Asian eye. Like, why? I don't get it. Then don't call yourself a makeup artist. Um, And maybe, and that's a problem. Like, I know in Canada, like, I know that, yeah, working makeup artists, if they're not having those diverse models sit in their chair, they're not doing it enough. So that's also a problem.
0: And what are your thoughts on, you know, because we talk about makeup as this, like, you know, cool confidence builder that can be used that way. And that doesn't mean everyone is going to feel like the lift that, you know, you or I might do by a by a bright red lip. Like, I know there is this kind of intimidation that comes with makeup, too, where, you know, there are, you know people who want to wear makeup who say, no, no, I could never, I can't wear red. I can't wear red. Do you hear that intimidation with people who sit in your chair as well? Oh yeah. I mean, like models, they don't care because
1: I mean they're there's a look that we're following. We have to do it. They know like that's their job with like clients, um, with like real people, I guess. <laughs> I think for sure they're, they're like, I can't wear that. I can't wear that lipstick. I'm like, yes, you can. I think it's like just the way you want to wear it. Um, And I just always have to remind people, it's makeup, it comes off. It's not like a haircut. It's not permanent. It washes off. And I think just um, like the thing that I always say is like, try it. You actually might like it. <laughs> um, and whether you like, and I don't know if it's because people have this like weird, like they'll always have that one horrible story of like I got my makeup done in a mall when I was like, you know, 14 and they put like bright blue eyeshadow. Like everybody has that story and everyone's been I- scarred like, somewhere. Yes. Yes. And so I'm like, yeah, but it, it washed off still. So um, don't let that one experience like completely skew, skew your whole version of makeup. And Sometimes I also think like what worked with you in high school is not going to work with you when you're in your 40s. So you need to change. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and those are kind of like the things that I always say to people.
0: What are your favorite things about makeup? Like you personally, what are the... What are the, the, the products that are your, your go-to because you just, you just love to wear them like personal, like professional, you know, needs and responsibilities aside, you're like, you know what, this is, this is the thing that makes me feel good. So I have it pretty regularly.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, uh, a good foundation I think is key because now like also like as I'm getting older, I've never spent so much like attention to skincare and uh, you know, and then foundation, making your skin look nice because that's like just the canvas. And, and then like a good, whether it's like a good nude, you need, everyone needs like a good nude lipstick, a good red lipstick and an eyelash curler, mascara, some blush. You're good. Like, Okay, you we need apologize. to
0: do a tutorial video here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll put we'll put Grace's pics in the show notes so you don't need to be scrambling writing them down. We'll make no, sure her but go-to's yeah, like, are those there. things should be uh, like an
1: I I mean, an eyelash curler does wonders for your eyes. I'm not going to lie. Um can definitely make them look more open and it's you know, mess and yeah, just think like nice big eyes, open eyes and like something on your lips, you can use the same lip shade and rub a little bit on your cheeks for color. Um, You don't need like a whole professional makeup kit. Like you you just need like the little basics that will make you look refreshed. And
0: so the people who are listening right now and they're Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm super excited to go to my local beauty counter. I'm going to buy a lipstick. How do you choose?
1: Well, that's the thing it depends. Like if you can go to like a department store, Sephora or whatever, you can actually try them on. Um, when you're in a drugstore, go to the colors that you normally like, because they have those pictures. And sometimes like, if you can't try them on, like put your, like the back of your hand to the, like the shade of lipstick. And I mean, everybody has, everybody knows kind of what they like, right? Like people know, like I like pink. So stick to those families. If you like reds, like stick to those reds. Um, and like I said, it's sometimes it's just trial and error seeing like what you like and what you don't like.
0: Have confidence in your convictions, but move out of your comfort zone a little bit too.
1: Yeah. And even if it's a red lip that you're starting with, like I always say then start off with a stain. Um, if you think like putting on the full red lip is too much, then blot it on like put a swipe of it on and then blot it off with the tissue. So you get just a stain of the lip and you still get color, but you're not wearing like a full on red lip. Um, and I mean, everyone is going to compliment the red lip and they, they you always get the compliment on the red lip and not on a nude lip. I'm, I'm going to tell you that.
0: It is totally correct. It is as a, as a lover of the red lip, pretty much yes. <laughs> 365. <laughs> yeah. One hundred percent. What are what are the like, you know, for for people who love makeup, everyone's a little bit dangerous, right? Because if you use it and wear it, you know, you feel like you 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 know things. What are some of the, you know, myths or myths misperceptions about makeup or makeup artists that you would like to debunk? Like right here, right now. <laughs> I mean,
1: I think it's just like years of like telling people like when people ask like what do you do like I'm a makeup artist uh sometimes I like to just say I'm an accountant because I don't want to tell people that I'm a makeup artist anymore because I just feel like the automatic question is like first they look at you like you are like especially if I'm not wearing any makeup they're like oh you are uh one and then they just whether I, I mean because makeup is my like actual profession, like I'm not doing it for fun. Like it, you know, uh, and they they just think it's okay to always like, like 100, like, what is the best foundation out there? Like, oh, uh, or then they like, you know, tell me like, what's wrong with my eyebrows? And can you fix them right now? Or, you (laughs) know, like, uh, what lipstick shade looks good on me? And I'm like, I, like not saying that I'm like saving lives, like I'm not a doctor, but like if you were to meet a doctor, you wouldn't like, or a dentist, like you wouldn't be like opening your mouth saying like, can you look at this cavity right now? Uh, Because you just told me you're a dentist or, you know, like I have this ailment, like I have this tomb, like this bump in like the side of my back. Like, I don't know. I just uh, like, stop asking people like these really dumb questions, honestly.
0: <laughs> so Yeah. That's why I want to yeah. tell people that If you I'm want around. a consultation, please, uh, we'll link Grace's, uh, you know, where you can find her below and because because a consultation with the makeup artist can be really valuable. Don't yeah, do that at a cocktail also, party. Like,
1: I'm not a walking Sephora. I'm not like, I really, you, I could go on and on about the stories of like the minute that they hear that I'm a makeup artist. It's like the, either the request that I get or just, yeah, like I'm not a walking department store that I can just like spew out like all these different things. And I think even just like the expectation on social media and like the amount of DMs that I get, like, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this. And I, it's, it's sometimes like very overwhelming. And some people aren't just not even nice. It's like a, it's like, like an expectation or just like an entitlement. And I just get tired of it. I'm like, no, I don't need to tell you anything. Like, I really don't. So yeah. And people think that I live this like glamorous life of a makeup artist. And it's not glamorous. (laughs) I'm going to debunk that right now. It's not glamorous. We are the help. Like (laughs) um, if, you know, like I'm, I don't know how to put it out there. Like when people are like, oh, you're a celebrity makeup artist. I hate that term because I'm not a celebrity. I'm, yeah, I I do makeup on celebrities, but I'm not. I don't live that celebrity lifestyle. I'm not like jetting on like airplanes, like private jets, like because of my status as a makeup artist. Like I'm, I know what my place is when I'm around celebrities. I am the help. I am like there to help them look good. Um, But I'm definitely not that, you know, like and I'm like on my hands and knees, like rubbing lotion in their knees and feet and ankle. Like, I, like it's it's not a highly glamorous job, as some people think it is. Despite
0: despite uh, stories and myths to the contrary. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, and even like working backstage at Fashion Week, like it is a gr- it was a grind. Um, we're not sipping champagne and like it's it's not like that at all. Like we are working. Um, and long hours were physically working. It's physical, it's mental, and it is uh yeah, it's it's not this like whole glamorous thing that people think we're doing.
0: I think the physicality of the job is something that can really catch people by surprise. Like it is physically taxing.
1: Uh yes, I have to carry around a seventy-five pound makeup uh suitcase. For one, if there's like no elevator, who do you think is carrying that 75 pound bag upstairs? Unless like I can find like a really nice like assistant grip or something like photographer's assistant and um, have their muscles. But yeah, like that's the thing. The worst thing to hear is like there's no elevator. I'm like, oh, my God, kill me. Uh, and then, yeah, physically, you're on your feet all the time. Uh, you're hunched over your back is in a weird place. Like your hands hurt sometimes. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it is a physical job.
0: What is it that keeps you in it? Like, you know, it's, it's grinding, it's physical. People ask you stuff when you're at cocktail parties. What (laughs) is it that keeps you in it? What do you love about it still?
1: I love that it's not the same, but I also hate that it's not the same. So, and I think, um, because there's like many different layers to my job because it's not just one thing. Like I'm not just, uh, I, I do. Yeah, I do. There's layers of my job that are like very different. So I don't get bored. Um, and I have a different canvas to work on every time. Like there's a new model that sits in my chair. It's, it's something new. So, and I honestly, like, I like talking to people. I think being a makeup artist, like 50% is skill and 50% is knowing how to connect with someone instantly. Um, And
0: you have to develop that kind of trust with them right away. It's a very intimate job. And I think anyone who has had the privilege of sitting in the chair, be it for their wedding or Mm -hmm. because they work in the industry and, and been in the hands of someone who is, who is, as good at their job as you are knows what a gift it is to, to experience that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, we're like the bartenders also, like we, we know a lot, like I, I hear a lot of information, um, that's passed through me because there's that kind of like intimacy between like the person sitting in my chair and myself, like, cause I'm right in their space. And, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I just think also it's like a energy thing too. I think when people can pick up on like calm makeup artists or like just hyper, you know, active makeup artists or very nervous energy as well. Like I think, and that also comes with experience and time. But I think people then appreciate the ones that are just like calm and know what they're doing. Because then that makes you feel trusted, and it actually makes you feel like, okay, I'm in good hands, and I'm going to look good. That's all that really
0: matters. Really, <laughs> is that they're going to totally. look totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> Grace, thank you so much for the conversation and for being here today. If people want to like check out your work or or find you, where are the best places for them to look for you?
1: Uh, Instagram, I guess. So that would be Grace Lee Beauty. And yeah, that's kind of Gracely Beauty across all platforms of social media, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Gmail. (laughs) And we'll put
0: it in the show notes. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being here today, Grace. Thanks, Donna. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I would love to connect with you on social. You can find me at Fashion Talks Pod on Instagram is the best place. If you have a moment to rate and review Fashion Talks on Apple Podcasts, I would so appreciate it. It helps other people find the podcast. A big thank you to CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, uh, the producing partner with Fashion Talks. You can find out more about CAFA and all the other things we've talked about today in the show notes. Until next time, thank you so much for joining me. Bye.